day that we live and the things that seem to be going on in our world today have brought a lot of people to a place of concern, uh, certainly of wonder and uh, trying to uh, perceive whether this is some of the end times that are spoken of in Scripture. Uh, my answer to that is definitely yes, it is part of the end times and has been since the time Christ ascended back to heaven. And uh, all the things that have happened these last 2,000 years or so have been part of the end times. Should it be a cause for us to worry? No. No. If anything, it should serve to keep our eyes open and watchful and to motivate us, encourage us to do uh, the work that God has for us to do and to make sure that our lives are ready for His return, uh, that you've trusted Christ as your Savior if you have not done that. If you're here today and you say, I don't know if I died right now or I don't know if God came back right now, that I would be saved. Can I urge you to get that matter settled today? It's not worth taking the time to say, I'll do it later. And there's nothing to be embarrassed about about it. There's no, I'll tell you, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life, by far, bar none. And for Christians that are here, it ought to serve to cause us to look at our lives and say, am I ready for His return? Am I living the way I should live? Am I doing the things I should do? And uh, to kind of take inventory, if you will. And uh, I, I said this the other week when we taught on this on Wednesday night. Uh, it's a shame that it takes something like current events in our society to get us to think that way. Because the truth of the matter is we should think that way every single day. No matter what's going on, no matter how calm things are in the world or how distraught things are in the world, a Christian ought to live with eternity in, in view. And I want to encourage you in this, and uh, especially the idea that, uh, folks, if you're not saved, uh, don't delay. Don't delay. Today is the day to get it done. You say, well, I'm too nervous to do anything during the invitation. I don't know if I want to. Then come find me personally after church. Or ask me if you can come talk to me and uh, or one of these folks here in the church that you know that you can trust. And I promise you, uh, we'll be more than happy. We'll be thrilled to be able to take the Bible and show you how you can be saved today and get that matter settled. Don't delay. Please don't delay. Genesis chapter 32, if you will. Genesis chapter 32. We've been doing a study on uh, Sunday morning in the book of Psalms. Today we were in Psalm 6. <coughs> And it's the first of seven uh, what are referred to as the penitent psalms. Psalms where David is uh, penitent toward his iniquity, his sin in his life. And um, if you weren't able to be here this morning, I would encourage you to take time to go back and watch it online, listen to it. Uh, it certainly is dealing with an issue that is, is very much needful in the day that we're living. Uh, we, we often will acknowledge our sin. But are we broken over it? Are we sorrowful over it? Uh, do we weep over it? And, uh, folks, these are things that I believe that as God's people, in order for us to have the same uh, or the walk with God that we should, the right walk with God that we should, we've got to get to a place where we abhor our sin, we're sorrowful over our sin, and uh, cling to God. There ought to be a fervency of the Christian life. Would you agree with me on that? Uh, it shouldn't be just something that we're trotting along. 
but there ought to be a, a, a vitality to it. There ought to be a uh, there ought to be something that is that is uh, motivating, that is diligent, that is uh, giving us a zeal for God. And uh, we're living in a day where uh, the humdrum of the Christian life begins to take over, and apathy sets in, and boredom sets in. Perhaps we're living in a very entertainment crazed world. And sadly, it seems like people are equating uh, entertainment with the Spirit of God. Can I tell you this? There ought to be such a, uh, a close communion with God and a close walk. Uh, uh, there ought to be enough sensitivity and yieldedness of our will to the Holy Spirit that there is just a bubbling over of uh, the, the uh, excitement, the thrill of the Christian life. And uh, we're in need of seeing this again today. And I, I think that one of the great enemies of this is the fact that we do not have enough remorse and disdain for our sinful condition. David referred to it as one of the key elements that caused his iniquity, his distress that he found himself in. That he had lost this communion with God. And I want to encourage you in this. Genesis chapter 32 is the story of, the uh, beginning of the story of Jacob. He's um, He has already uh, tricked his father and gotten Esau uh, got his birthright and his blessing both and has fled because Esau was going to kill him. He spent uh, time with his uncle Laban and uh, has married uh, two of his daughters. And he has left Laban, and Laban, of course, uh, pursued after him. And um, uh, Jacob kind of left on the sly somewhat, and Laban followed after him and said, Look, it's not right. You should leave this way. Let's make a covenant between us. And they do that, and uh, they, they leave on good terms then. And, and things are much better between them. And uh, Jacob is sojourning. And he's getting ready to meet his brother Esau. And it's interesting that even though Jacob had tricked Esau from his birthright and his blessing, that God still had prospered Esau, at least in those early days. <clears throat> there was a time, it seems to be, at least from Scripture, there's some uh, belief or indication that at least during a portion of Esau's life, there was a closeness with the Lord, it seems to be, in these years, uh, at least enough that the Lord blessed him. And Jacob is getting ready to meet Esau for the first time since he had tricked him. Now, the last time he saw Esau, uh, Esau said, I'm going to kill you, or the last thing he'd heard from Esau. He said, I'm going to kill you. And so Jacob doesn't know what's going to happen. He's a little bit worried about it. And this is where we pick up the story as we come to verse number 9, Genesis chapter 32. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidest unto me, Return unto thy country, to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all, thy mercy, all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan... And now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, uh, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother uh, with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be uh, numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats, 20 he-goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milch camels uh, with their colts, 49, uh, 40 kind, and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses, and 10 foals. 
And he delivered them into the hand of his servants. Every drove by themselves and said unto his servants, Pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, whither, uh, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee, that thou shalt say, They uh, be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. Peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present uh, over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servant and his eleven sons and passed over the four Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you once again. Lord, I know that we've taken time to thank you for your blessings this day, that we've taken time to ask you for requests and burdens that have been upon our hearts. And now, Lord, we ask you for the next few moments to calm our hearts, to lend the aid of your Holy Spirit, and to give strength and understanding to the preaching of your word. Bless uh, we ask that your word would go forth with power, with, without being fettered or hindered, and that it would do the work that it is intended to do. Encourage our hearts and strengthen our faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jacob is worried, and even though God has promised him that if he would return to his home, that it would be well with him. Uh, and while Jacob has some faith that this is true, He's also a little nervous about it. And by the way, before we're too critical of Jacob, how often are you and I the same way? We take God at His Word, and then we kind of think, well, but just in case. And Jacob does this. Uh, he's trusting God for the fact that he is at least going back to his home. Yet when he gets to the place where he's going to meet Esau, he sets up a plan that basically puts a long line of buffer of presence so that if Esau's mad and slaughters the first group and maybe even the second group, at least Jacob would have time to turn and flee. And I think this pretty much is kind of the mindset that Jacob must have had at this point. <clears throat> and so he sets all of this up. And finally, having made all the preparations, he takes his family and he uh, goes to the other side of the river and uh, keeps them in an area of safety. And this is where we find him. If you will, let's take a moment to look in verse number 24. We're going to pick up reading for a moment here. And Jacob was left alone. By the way, there are times that when we're going to be dealing with God on some things, we need to be alone with Him. I'm all for coming to church, and I love that. I think there's certainly a blessing, and we're instructed by God to do so, and it uh, allows us to edify and to encourage one another. But it is no substitute for your time alone with God. I, we had a, a fellowship Friday night, and I enjoyed that. We spent time uh, singing songs and uh, sharing blessings with one another behind the, the church here at a, at a little fire in the fire pit and uh, hot dogs and uh, some really good chili. 
And, but I'll tell you this, that even though that was a wonderful blessing in a time of edifying, it is no substitute for our time alone with God. Jacob finds himself alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. I want to give you four lessons that are learned from the story of Jacob wrestling uh, with this man by the river, which we believe to be the Lord Jesus Christ himself, uh, from the context of it, uh, four lessons that I think every Christian ought to learn. And the first one is this, that God honors our perseverance in seeking him. God honors our perseverance in seeking him. As we spent some time this morning in Psalm 6, and if you'll hold your place here in Genesis chapter 32, let's look at it very quickly. Psalm 6, I want you to notice one of the things that David uh, brings out. And uh, he begins in verse number 4 as he's praying for God to uh, temper his chastening, his rebuking with mercy. And he says in verse number 4, Return, O Lord. Oh, there's a seeking of David for the presence of God back in his life. That which had been suspended, that which had been uh, blocked by the iniquity that David had in his life, that which had quenched the close communion that he and God had, had, had uh, driven a wedge between them, if you will. David's heart cry was, Return, O Lord. And there's a, a plea there as he cries out to God with a heart that is broken. He says, Lord, I, I want you to return. <coughs> Notice this, and I want you to, to make sure you understand this. That whenever there is a separation of our communion with God, it is not God that's moved from us, but it is rather us that have moved from Him. And, and, and this cry out to return is a plea for God's mercy, that as we are coming back to Him, that He'll receive us again. And by the way, aren't we glad He's faithful to do it? Not just five times or ten times or even seventy times, seven times, but He's faithful to do it every single time. And I'm thankful for that. It should not cause us then to say, well, I can just ask forgiveness and I'll just come back to him every time. Oh, no, no. David said in verse number 2 that his bones were vexed. But I want you to notice in verse number 3 he said, my soul is also sore vexed. It's one thing for us to be fearful in our bodies and in our minds intellectually. It's a whole other thing and altogether for us to be fearful in our hearts, to have a brokenness of heart and spirit. He says, return and deliver, return, O Lord, deliver my soul, O save me for thy mercy's sake. And, and then I want you to notice in verse number six, and this is something we focused on this morning in Sunday school. He said, I am weary with my groaning all the night. Make I my bed to swim. I water my couch 
or with my tears, my eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all thine enemies. What was David saying here? David was saying, I'm going to cry out to you, Lord, as long as it takes. I'm going to commune with you as long as it takes. How long, O Lord, he said. And Jacob, as he comes to this place where he's wrestling with this man by the river, I want you to notice, as we see in verse number 24, that he wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Could you imagine uh, being able to wrestle with a man throughout the entire night? When was the last time in our lives that something so consumed our hearts that sleep fled from us? Whether it be the brokenness over our sin or the circumstances of life, when was the last time that all we could do throughout the night would be to cry out and to wrestle with God in prayer? Not that God is opposing us, but all that we would cry out to Him with perseverance. That we would cry out to Him with a heart that said, Lord, bless me. Before I leave, I want you to bless me. I want you to answer this prayer. And Jacob is wrestling with God until the breaking of the day. And when he saw, verse 25, that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. Can I tell you this? No matter what it was that God tried, Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go. He touched his thigh, put it out of joint, and yet then still, Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go. Oh, that we would learn to seek after God with such perseverance, with such heart, to cling to Him and to to hold to Him and say, Lord, there is nothing that will cause me to depart from You. I must have Your blessing in my life. I must have Your presence in my life. And one of the great truths that we can learn from the story of Jacob wrestling with God is the fact that he honors, that God honored his perseverance as he sought for his blessing in his life. Oh, that God's people would learn this idea of persevering. I am weary of reading of all the great revivals of many years ago, of the mighty works of God. And yet not seeing Him in the day that we live. And oftentimes people say, well, why is it? Is it that God has chosen not to to do His work in the day that we live? Well, there certainly could be that if God chooses not to do some things. There were a number of years, about 400 years, between the Old Testament and the New Testament of Revelation that was given where those were called the silent years. God didn't do a lot of working during that time as far as things that were actively seen by men. And God certainly can have a time of not choosing to bring revival to this world. But I don't believe that it has been because of God's just choosing to make it a silent time. But rather the fact that God's people have have ceased to seek after Him with the diligence and the zeal and the perseverance that the psalmist had. As he says, all night, all night. I've wept, and my, my bed is flooded, it's, it's soaked with my tears, my couch is wet with my tears. As he persevered and sought for God, Jacob wrestles with God. God seeks to go, and he, he, he touches Jacob's thigh, and he puts it out of joint, and even then, Jacob clings to him, holds to him, and will not let him go. Verse 25, it says, And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. Notice this, as he wrestled with him. 
And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. When we go into our time of communing with God daily, maybe it's a special place you have, a special time that you have. How often do we have it scheduled into our day? That from this time until this time, it's my time with the Lord. I, I'm not opposed to having a set time to walk with God because oftentimes if we don't, we won't do it. But while we may have a set time to begin, may we never have a set time to end. May we not be rushing into God's presence and then rushing out of it. The soul that would cry out to God and say, Lord, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. God honors those that persevere in seeking for Him. I want you to notice also from this story that our identity is not in what we do in this life. It's not who we are relatives of. It's not who we or what job we've done in our life or what good we've done for mankind or humanity. But our identity is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Notice as we get to verse number 27, and he's asking God for this blessing. And the Bible says, And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. The name Jacob meant trickster. And if you can remember the story of Jacob as a young man, he was always one that was uh, deceitful. He always was trying to, to cheat people. He's always trying to, to get ahead in life by doing things that were uh, uh, deceitful and dishonest. Uh, even from the very time of his birth, it seemed like he was always trying to just get ahead. And this name that had been given to him, that he was known by. By the way, there's times that we do that too, don't we, in life? There are times that we're known by a certain character that we have. Jacob certainly was one of these men. And when God blesses him, after he has persevered in seeking for God's presence, to linger in His presence, to have God bless him in his life, to have that close communion with Him, God brings the blessing to him and He says, No more will you be called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and has prevailed. What an amazing transformation in the name that God gives to Jacob. The idea of the name of Israel, which is where Israel gets its name from today, was because of this meeting with God that Jacob had. He's no longer known as the trickster, but now he's known as a prince with God. And by the way, any time that we come into the presence of God, and we know Him closely and intimately. We've trusted Him as our Savior. He now walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me that I am His own. I am His and He is mine. And as we spent time on Wednesday night dealing with the idea that we are, we are part of the, ch- the children of God. We are part of God's family. I'm a child of the King. Our identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm no longer Greg the sinner, 
But I am now, Greg, the sinner that's been saved by grace. And I get the privilege of being called a Christian. I now have a name of Christ that is placed upon my life. May I learn to live up to the name that has been so graciously given to us. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 for a moment. We'll be back here in Genesis 32, so hold your place for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 17. Oh, I got the wrong, uh, I think I got the wrong Corinthians here. Is it 2 Corinthians chapter 5? I might have wrote it wrong. Let's see if I got it right here. I'll get it here in a second. There we go. I think this is it. There, there we go. Second Corinthians. Sorry about that. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse number seventeen. Paul writes this in church at Corinth. He says, "Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new what creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new." When we trust Christ as our Savior. That which was the old nature is done away with and the new nature comes in. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us and those things that used to uh, be marked as the character of my life are no longer the things that mark the character of my life. There's something different about it. My identity is in Christ. I'm no longer in the old nature, in the old flesh. I'm no longer walking under the bondage of sin and death, but I'm now walking in the liberty of the Spirit of God. John chapter number 1. The Gospel of John chapter number 1. Verse number 12. The Bible says this, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the what? Sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. You get saved, you become a child of the King, your identity is in Him. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 20, back to where we were just a few moments ago in verse 17, now we're in verse number 20. I became a child of the king when I got saved. In verse number 20, it says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. The life that I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God, the Apostle Paul said. You and I need to learn to live this way. That our identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is for His glory that we exist. It is for His glory that we live and breathe and have our being. It is for His glory that we are left on this earth after we are saved. To point men to Him. Jacob is no longer known as Jacob, but from that day on he's known as Israel. No longer the trickster, but now he's a prince with God. The day I got saved, I went from being a sinner to being a child of God. I went from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. I went from being lost and condemned in my sins and trespasses to having life eternal in the glorious, wonderful presence of Almighty God. We need to learn to persevere in seeking for the presence of God in our life. To have a zeal, to have a determination. To say as the psalmist does, that if we don't even have His presence, we can't even live. We must have it. We must have Him in our life. 
Where's the urgency? Where's the zeal? Where's the determination? Where's the crying out to God? Oh God, I must have you. I must spend time with you. I must have that closeness with you. I am weak. I am frail. I need your strength. I need your leading in my life. Number four. God desires for you and I to know Him intimately. Look in verse number 29. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Notice that God doesn't tell him his name in that verse. But I want you to see what's said in verse number 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. The songwriter wrote years ago, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold Him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. I don't know about you, but I long for the day that my eyes can literally see the face of my blessed Savior. But until then, may my heart see the face of God through faith. May I commune with Him as a friend would commune face to face. May I walk with Him as though His very physical presence is before me. God desires for us to know Him intimately. Not just to know about Him. There's a lot of people who know about Him. You go around the world today, you ask most people, do you know God? And a lot of people say, oh yeah, I know God. And what they mean by that is, I know about Him. I could tell you a lot of stuff about Him. But the question today is, do I know God? Do I walk with Him? Do I talk with Him? Do I spend time with Him in His Word? Years ago, a fellow by the name of Sam Gipp I was listening to as he was preaching in a conference I was attending. He said one of the great things that will help us as we come to Scripture is to quit reading the Word of God and begin looking for the God in the Word. To begin to seek for God in His Word. And don't just read it as words on a page, but look at it as God speaking to your heart. God speaking to you and allowing you to get to know Him in an intimate way. We learn an awful lot about God through His Word. God desires to know us intimately. And then number four, I would say this, that when we come to God and we trust Him as our Savior, that shouldn't be the end of it. That should be the very beginning of our life with Him. Oftentimes we think that when we get saved that I got my ticket to heaven... So I'll just put that in a safe place and now I'll go on about my life and when the time comes I'll run and I'll get that ticket and I'll say, okay, Lord, I'm going to heaven because I put my faith and my trust in You. Can I tell you, that is not what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is about the fact that the day I got saved, I was made new and now there's something that I have inside of me that causes me to have my identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a seeking of my heart. There's a longing of my heart to commune with Him intimately and face to face. And because of that, number four, I ought to be able to bear the marks of Christ 
in my life. There ought to be things that are seen in my life that when they see me, they say, there's a man that's been with the Lord. Notice what the Bible says here. As we get down to the end of chapter 32 to verse number 32, the Bible says, Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which uh, shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because the touched... He touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. Jacob, from that day on, I'm sorry, verse number 31 is the one I was looking for. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Just because God had blessed him didn't mean that he didn't have a mark upon him for the rest of his life. Some people say, well, boy, he limped. Well, that was, that was a terrible thing he had to limp. No, I think it was a badge of honor. That Jacob had been in the presence of God. Charles Weigel, who wrote a lot of hymns, a lot of songs that we sing today. He's the one that wrote, No one ever cared for me like Jesus. He also penned a song that was known as the Beautiful Garden of Prayer. What a great, great hymn. He had the thought and the idea of that hymn after he had been to Pasadena, California for a meeting. And during the time between the meetings, he had some time and having heard of the world-famous rose gardens they have there in Pasadena, he went to go visit them during the free time that he had between the meetings. And when he got to the evening meetings that night, one after another of people would come up to him and say, so how did you enjoy the gardens? And he would say, I enjoyed them very much, but he was wondering and puzzled by how the fact that they knew of his affairs from that afternoon. And after several had asked him of this, they, he, he finally spoke up and said, How is it that you know of my affairs today? And they said, Well, that is easy. The fragrance of the flowers still lingers upon you. Because he had been in the presence of the wonderful fragrance of the roses that when he left it, went back to the meeting that the fragrance of those roses lingered upon him. And I've often thought, as I have heard of that story for many, many years now, wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of us, there's someone who's been in the presence of God. How do you know? Because he bears the marks of Christ. There's something different about him. There's something different about them. When Jesus was being crucified on the cross and Peter was standing a little bit afar off and he was asked three different times and accused at least of being a follower of the Lord Jesus. One of the times that he denied it, the people responded with, Your speech berayeth you. You talk as one who has been with Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the things that we said, people would say, you must be a Christian. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the way that we dress, people would say, you must be a Christian. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the way that we act, our temper, our attitudes, someone could say, there's a Christian. There's somebody who's been in the presence of God. 
His character is lingering upon them. They've walked with God. They've fellowshiped with God. They've learned from His Word what His heart's desire is for them. And it lingers upon them. David, this morning in Sunday school as we studied that sixth psalm, spends seven verses crying out to God. Five different times in those first seven verses, he uses the expression, Oh Lord! Oh Lord! He understood the humility that was needed. He recognized his own weakness. He understood his need for correction, but he said, Lord, when you correct, don't do it from your anger or your wrath. Don't do it from just your justice. Temper it with your mercy. Lord, I need the chastening. I understand that. I don't like it, but I know I need it. But may it be with your mercy. To cry out to God and say, Return, O Lord. I want that close fellowship, that close communion again. Oh, that our hearts, as God's people, would cry out once again and would persevere in seeking for Him. Just cry out and say, Lord, I must have Your presence or I'll perish. To recognize and know that our identity, this side of heaven, is found now in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a child of the King, and as such, I better walk like one. I am His representative. I am His ambassador. I remember as a kid leaving the house, mom and dad saying, remember whose child you are. Remember who you represent. Not only were they saying you're a booer and you need to act like someone who has been raised with good manners, but they were also saying, you're a Christian, son. Act like it. Don't do something that would cause a reproach to the name of the Lord Jesus. Our identity is in Christ. God desires for you and I to know Him intimately. That's His desire. It's what He longs for. He longs to be able to walk and talk with us. You say, how do you know that? Because from the very beginning of creation, when God created Adam and Eve and He put them in the garden... You know what he did in the cool of the day? He came down and he walked with them. He longed to be with them. And he longed for them to be with him. God longs for us to know him intimately. To be able to sing, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He speaks. The sound of His voice is so clear, the birds hush their singing. And the melody that He makes to me within my heart is ringing. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. Oh, that we would learn to know Him intimately. And lastly, 
May we learn to bear the marks of Christ. May we seek to have a life that reflects Him. From the day that Jacob left the presence of God, he walked with a limp. You can never be in the presence of God in close communion with Him without it leaving an indelible mark upon your life. May we learn to walk closely with Him. To have that walk characterized by the marks of Christ. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Lord, we're living in a time where if there's ever been a time for Christians to have a fervency in their spirit, to have an absolute confidence and knowledge of the position that we have in You, Lord, we are, we are children of the King. Not just the King, but as one member mentioned Wednesday night after church, the King of Kings. Lord, we are Your children. May we bear the marks. May we long for that walk and that intimate time spent with You. May we have a desire to persevere and to, to linger in Your presence, to seek to be in Your presence at all times. 